morning, and those words were right from Jesus, come to me. I'm so glad you're in this place today. I'm so glad that we can sing together, and we are so excited because we have a new song that we are going to sing with you today. So would you please stand? I think it's a song that you'll be able to catch on to, and it's just all about Jesus' wonderful name and how powerful it is, how wonderful. Um, and so we're going to go ahead and sing it for you, and hopefully you'll be singing with us soon. You were the word at the beginning, one with God, the Lord most high. Your hidden glory in creation, now revealed in you are Christ. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a beautiful name it is, nothing compares to this. What a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus. So Jesus, you brought heaven down. My sin was great, your love was great. What could separate us now? What a wonderful name it is. What a wonderful name it is. The name of Jesus. What a wonderful name it is, nothing compares to this, what a wonderful name it is, the name of Jesus, what a wonderful name it is, the name of Jesus.
It begins with a realization. An epiphany claws its way through a snarl of distractions, emblazoning itself behind your eyelids. Sometimes it's quieter, a nagging dullness in the soul, a kind of fatigue wrought by overstimulation and overprogramming. You're tired. At first, it's just a thought that emerges from the fray, but it becomes a recognition and finally a reckoning. You look in the mirror one day and it's plain, just three words, I'm not ready. With our attentions wheeling around in so many directions, we feel incapable of joy. Amid the proliferation of half-satisfactions and easy pleasures, we hardly feel hungry for real resurrection. This realization of our spiritual lethargy persists. It lengthens like a shadow and it darkens like a late afternoon in midwinter. We are not ready for Easter. How we got here is not so important as the way out. Lent is a changing of posture, a turning around, an uncoiling of the soul that is curved in on itself. It's taking a hard look at where our freedoms have actually enslaved us. We anesthetize our emotions as soon as we feel them. We carve our own worlds of pleasures and preferences and end up on our own, trapped in ourselves, exiled from God and from our communities. And somewhere we've lost our imaginations and discarded our best hopes. The way home is always through the wilderness, the desert, the moors, the frozen tundra, the woods. These are not where we find God, but rather, their desolation and silence give us space to ponder, to listen, to be still. The journey is both physical and spiritual, involving our whole selves. It's tough, but the ascetic disciplines of Lent make it easy to misunderstand. It's not a hunger strike or an angry discipline to secure specific demands. It's not a power play or a dissident throwdown to manipulate God, not a reciprocal exchange, thinking our effort would counterclaim God's blessing. In our hunger, our longing, and our discomfort, we meet our weakness. We confront the limits we thought we had transcended, the needs we thought we had filled. Lent is taking a break from the degrading cycle of serving incessant appetites, either our own or someone else's. It's a 40-day pilgrimage into a severe landscape of longing, hope, and expectation, where winter is slowly giving way to spring. It's 40 days of clinging to the promise of something better. It's 40 days of learning to love the future. It's 40 days of putting one weary foot in front of the other, fueled by the hope of resurrection. It's 40 days of following Christ's footsteps into the wilderness to prepare our hearts for his passion, the way of sorrows and Good Friday. It's 40 days of giving something up, opening our hands and letting go so that our palms are open to receive. It's 40 days of remembering that we are dust and to dust we shall return. Incredibly powerful start to this morning. I mean, that music, that new song. I, I'm, if that one didn't get you, I don't know. You may need to check your Jesus meter. I'm not sure what's going on there because, wow. And then the message of, of that video. I mean, I've watched it five, six, seven times now. And I just, there's a lot going on there. I'd encourage you to, you know, get online later again and check that out again so they really understand what this season is that we're in and what it's all about. We're glad you've joined us uh, during, this, during this walk to the cross at Southfield today. As you're walking in, uh, you're greeted at the door by some of the, the smiliest, friendliest servers you'll find at any church, and you were handed a folder that's got the church's name across the top. Uh, we love for you to look at that every week, especially like if you come all the time, the middle column, that's where the action is. That's the, that's the stuff that changes all the time, the, the things that are happening around here. And then you'll notice along the sides, if you're newer, uh, it kind of gives you an idea of what to do on your first visit as well as opportunities that are available around the church. So make sure you go ahead and give that a good read. And then on the inside, there's this card that we like to use to stay connected. So 
If you want to go ahead and pull that out, put your name on it, uh, and you can put uh, whatever else you want on the front, keep your information updated. Backside, nice big square box to be able to communicate with our staff and our prayer team, uh, requests that you have going on, as well as answer to, answers to prayer. There's just an awful lot that we can communicate and, and lift, up, lift up to God in your behalf. So use that. And then a couple of things that are going on. We're going to be doing some cleanup out here on our, on our property, getting some uh, decorative grasses trimmed and whatever, just kind of getting the place looking nice and ready for Easter. So if you want to be a part of that, you notice in the little box an opportunity to check that off. And then later, later in uh, April, we're partnering with uh, Shanahan Park District to clean up about a two-mile stretch of the I&M Canal. So if you want to be a part of that, check that off as well, and we'll get back to you this week in terms of the schedule and how, that, how that's all going to work. I get this little advantage uh, being up here that I get to talk to a whole bunch of people at once instead of having a whole bunch of little conversations, which kind of works out nice because lately it seems like a bunch of you are kind of asking me a handful of the same questions. And so I thought as we get launching this morning, I'd just go ahead and answer a few questions out front and that way, you know, kind of get those things. You'll, you'll know what's going on. So last week we're, we're speaking about... Um, the importance of living in now, that rhythm between past and future, and that we really need to live in, in now, what's happening in the moment. We had that story of Jesus, he's, he's off to go ahead and heal Jairus' daughter, and along the way, the woman touches his robe, stop, what's going on? And so, living in the present moment. As I'm literally going through this message, about halfway through, Kim gets a phone call from her family that her dad was taken to the hospital. Her dad has got a terminal disease. He's uh, been suffering with it for about two years. And slowly but surely, his, his body is uh, degrading, and he's looking more and more uh, toward seeing Jesus every day. So we get this phone call in the middle of the service, and I'm preaching about now. She's wondering if she should literally come up now and tell me what's going on. But she waited, and we later in the afternoon ran on, uh, got a trip on down there to go ahead and find out what was going on. They thought initially that uh, he had a heart attack, and it's not. It's just the disease has kind of entered a new stage uh, where the medication they've been using for him is not working as effectively as it used to. And so slowly but surely, his body is saying, uh, you're not going to be on this earth much longer. So his name is Dave Fry, all right? If you can't remember his first name, just remember Fry Chicken, easy to remember that. Uh, God also knows him as Kim's dad. So if you say Kim's dad, he'll know who you're talking about. But pray for him and, and, and just pray for our family as we go through this process of literally letting go one of, the, one of the best men in the world. Fantastic man. So, and I know everybody says that, but we mean it. He is, he's amazing. So uh, pray for our family during this time. Second question I've been being asked a lot is about, you know, so we're, we, we got this thing going on in Springfield, and Monday we were supposed to get on a plane and go see Nate in Texas. We're kind of this weird family that... Uh, our kid doesn't come home for spring break. We go there for spring break because let's face it, if you can go to Texas, you go to Texas. You know what I mean? So, so uh, we jumped on the plane, went down to see Nate. Nate and Blake Hirschberg are doing great down there at ACU. They're learning and growing, and it's been fantastic. They've actually, neither of them venture out of their room much, but we're, we're the only set of parents in all of college history saying, it would really be nice if you'd go do something fun instead of just sitting in your room. But anyway, uh, they helped us to discover some fun restaurants and whatever. Nate wanted desperately to show his dad the Alamo. So we, so we took a trip down to San Antonio and, and spent some time wandering through the Alamo. And while we were there, uh, Nate decided to do something historic, and he threw up at the Alamo. So he, right there, yeah, that was that. And uh, Four-hour trip down, four-hour trip back, and about an hour in San Antonio. We didn't spend very long there. So anyway, uh, he got sick. The great part is his mom was there. And who doesn't want their mom present when they're sick? So that worked out well. And then he decided to share, and Kim got sick. So here we are taking the plane back, and I'm collecting those little bags out of the seats and hoping everything goes well. It was a great trip. It was really, it was a lot of fun. I promise you this, it's warmer down there. They got the plants out at the stores. They're already getting ready to plant and go. It's coming, it's coming. Warm is coming really soon. The third question I've been being asked a lot is about my brackets. Um, and so I guess it's time for me to admit this. Uh, and some of you may decide to revoke my man card, but I don't give a rat's patootie about the, the brackets, okay? I really don't. I mean, I've never set a bracket. I don't know what a bracket is. If Northwestern ever makes it into the, the thing, I'll, I'll, I'll follow. Oh, I guess they did. But anyway, who cares? Um, 
Yeah, I, the, the brackets that matter to me are the brackets that hold up my bookshelf. Those are, those are the ones that matter most. So those of you that are doing that, oh, good for you. Woo, woo. Ask my son. He knows all about it. Personally, I'm saving my money. The last thing that, uh, that I'm getting asked about a lot is movie. Getting asked a lot about the shack. And, and so I thought, you know, it's funny. Just recently, I had someone say to me, you know, why don't you say something about it in church? I'm like, I'm not talking about this in church. And then I've been asked enough that I'm like, okay, let me just kind of blanket statement this thing. So uh, there's a movie out right now. It's called The Shack. It's got some religious themes and whatever. And uh, there are a lot of people that are just like having a cow about the themes in it and everything else and some for good reason and whatever. Let me, let me just, let me give you my perspective on this thing, okay? Uh, back in, I don't know when it was, when the book came out, but I read it in 2008 I found, I found the book fascinating. I mean, I was, I was emotionally caught up in this, in this book. It was, it was really an interesting book and, and really an interesting story. If you go on the inside cover, you know, they, they, um, they categorize books. I don't know if you realize that. There's that page that most people don't look at, but I look at it because I'm interested in the Library of Congress and all that kind of stuff. And so you look at that front page, and, and it uses this interesting little word, fiction. Fiction. You know what fiction means? Not true. Fake, false, story, fun. But if you, if you open up a Bible, it would be a fact, okay? But, you know, but fiction is a story. It's a story, okay? And, and being fiction, it's literature. And being literature, it's art. And what is art supposed to do? Art's supposed to inspire us. Art is supposed to challenge us. Art is supposed to move us. It's supposed to do something down here. It's, it's supposed to do something that just kind of gets some juices flowing. You know what I mean? But it's not intended as a theology book. So, you know, there are a lot of people right now lighting their hair on fire because, you know, whoa, this book is it's nasty, it's bad. It's fiction. Take a deep breath. It's fiction, all right? So, I mean, if you're reading that book on equal plane with this book and trying to figure out who God is, okay, that's a problem, all right? I'm going to depend on what Jesus says about who God is and not an author of a popular book. Does that make sense? Having said that, you know, you read stuff in order to be inspired, in order to be challenged, and in order to be moved. Now, I understand some of the concern. I think we live in an era that people have very little discernment. If something says God, if something quotes a verse, if something uses a Christian song or has a Christian actor, oh, it must be, you know, this is straight from heaven. Now, you know what? You just got to understand this, okay? I, I hope you get this by now. If you have an opinion, you can go on the internet and you can find anything to reinforce your opinion. With Bible verses. I mean, it's amazing how your opinion can be, re, re, can be reinforced with Bible verses, with things that sound really theological and wonderful. It's still garbage, all right? It's still not true, but congratulations, you reinforced your opinion. So we've got to be careful in this era where there's tons of information to be discerning people. What does that mean? We look at everything through this lens. So I don't look at this and list and say, and say, well, you know, this is what the shack says about God, so I believe that. I look at this and say, this is what the Bible says about God, so I believe this. But there's nothing wrong with enjoying art. There's nothing wrong with being inspired and challenged and moved. So I hope you can handle that. Um, I, I'm not going to be doing a seven-part sermon series on the evils of the shack, all right? Uh, it's art. Take it for what it is. Breathe a little relax. Certainly, if people are buying into theological opinions from that and forming their view of God through that, you may want to come back and say, well, that's interesting, but, but this is what the Bible says, and it's not fiction. It's, it's truth. It's theology. It's reality. So, that good? We're done with the shack. Okay. That whole intro was long enough that we need another intro video to break into our message.
rests, it seems, on the shoulders of men who can control nothing. The voices whisper of trusting the Father, schedules scream of doubt, and actions cry out in disbelief. itself up to incessant activity, merely because it knows of nothing better. All rests, it seems, on the shoulders of men who can control nothing. Let me say it one more time. All rests, it seems, on the shoulders of men who can control nothing. I wonder if it feels today for you like all rests on your shoulders. Like you are quite literally carrying the burdens of the entire world on you. You're saying, oh, Dennis, you're being extreme. I don't have all the burdens of the world, just all the burdens of the United States or all the burdens of Illinois or all the burdens of my house, which are quite big enough. In contrast to what you're going through, Jesus says, come to me. All you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. If you read a little further in that passage, he says, take my yoke upon you. He actually puts something else on our shoulders. Take my yoke upon you. He says, let me teach you. Listen to my teaching because I am humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. I, I love that we added the cello today. I, the cello for me is one of the most soulish instruments if you want to know the language of my soul, it speaks cello. That, that's, you will find rest for your souls. Take, for my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. During this walk to the cross, we've been talking about the rhythms of life. The rhythms that if, if we choose to live into, if we choose to lean into them, we're going to find ourselves living a life that works. And we, when we decide to fight against those rhythms, to go against those rhythms, we find our lives frazzled and distracted and just plain a mess. We have the, the rhythm of the waves, the ebb and flow. We have the rhythms of creation, day and night, evening and morning, the first day. And so we've been talking about the rhythms by which we live, past and future, and living in now. Today I want to talk about the rhythm that comes out of creation, not the day and night, which, by the way, thank God for night. Imagine having another 12 hours that we're wide awake, creating more chaos. God puts us asleep for a little while before the, before the chaos starts again. But he has this other rhythm, not just day and night, day and night, but he has six days and six nights. And then comes this seventh day. And on the seventh day, God says, this one's unique, this one's different, this one's not like the rest. This is the day that I want you to stop and quiet your soul. This is the day that I want you to stop and just take a deep breath. This is the day that, that God referred to as Sabbath. A few years back, we did a whole series on the concept of the Sabbath. You may want to go back and, and look for that series if you want to learn more about it. But I promised myself at that time that we would revisit this about annually. Because all the things I watch going on in the lives of modern-day American Christ followers, as I watch your Facebook walls and listen to the conversations, y'all are just stinking tired. You're tired. And you're tired because somewhere along the way, you bought into the myth that if you're awake, you need to be working. Uh, you do go, 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 go. And I'm not just talking about the work that involves making money. 
I'm talking about at every level, our kids, everyone. We're in such a constant state of activity that we are soul weary. We are just tired. And God's saying, no kidding, you're tired. You're not honoring the rhythm that I built into human existence of six days on, one day off. Six days to work. He doesn't even say five and two. He says six days and then just stop and breathe. It it, it actually came up in creation in Genesis chapter 2. It says the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. And on the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation. So he rested from all his work. Can you imagine God resting? Just, just allow yourself to play with that for a little while. God just sitting down in his lazy boy. It's a big one. Boom. And he just sits down and he rests from all he's done. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy. Holy means separated, set apart. Holy means different from all the others. The other six look like this. This seventh one doesn't look like any of the others. Because it was the day that God rested from his work of creation. So God sets this pattern in the initial rhythms of the beginning of Genesis that says, I want you to do evening and morning. You're going to be awake and you're going to sleep. You're going to do that for six days. And the seventh day, you're going to stop. You're going to stop. Now, now people didn't catch that naturally. And so we come over to the book of Exodus, and as God is saying things like, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, he also commands us to do this. Would you just take a break? God actually, alongside murder, he says, you need some rest. You need to stop a day a week. Exodus chapter 20, remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Not by filling it with all the stuff you didn't do during the week. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, separate, different than the others. And he literally says this. You have six days each week to do your ordinary work. The stuff you always do, do it in those six. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household is to do any work. And he goes through the list of who all's in your household, right? That includes your sons and your daughters. What does that mean? The seventh day isn't a day that we get all of our kids' work in while we take off from our work. Your male or female servants. Uh, Okay. Your livestock. The foreigners living among you, your mother-in-law, all those people. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. He said, I'm going to give you the reason we're doing this. The Lord made everything in those six days, but on the seventh day, he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. So he says, as people who follow Jesus, I want you to be this witness to the world. I want you to be the person who stops one day a week to say, I'm just doing what God did. God took a break, I'm taking a break. God, the creator of the universe, said there's one day a week that I just need to stop, and I'm reflecting his nature and his character. Now you go over to Deuteronomy, and he repeats the command again. And a lot of it looks exactly the same. Observe the Sabbath, keep it holy. He gives us the list of people that are supposed to rest in the house. One day is uh, six days are ordinary, one day is special. But he comes to the end and he says, Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt, but the Lord your God brought you out with his strong hand and powerful arm. That is why the Lord your God has commanded you to rest on the Sabbath day. Now you're looking and going, wait a second, which one is it? Both. Both. The Sabbath is given to us to reflect the rhythm of creation and the God of creation, and it's also given us to remind us that we were once slaves. But as we so beautifully sing around here, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. And so one day a week, we get to stop and remember who we really are. That we're not machines. That we're not robots. That we're not just pumping it out and doing everything. One day a week, we stop and say, I am redeemed by Jesus. You know, we talked about the fact that with Lent, it's 40 days. But if you count, it's more than 40 days. It's more than 40 days because there are Sundays in there and you can't use Sunday as a day of mourning. Sunday is always resurrection. It's always a celebration. Sunday is always different from the rest. It's always special. It's always set apart. Most of us, when we look at the Ten Commandments, don't think, hmm, I wonder if it's okay to murder. 
You know, we look at it and go, do not murder. Okay, I guess I shouldn't do that. You know, do not steal. Yeah, I got that one. It's right there, black and white. Work six days, rest one day. Eh, if I feel like it. If I want it, if it works into my schedule. Why in the world do we make this one optional? Of all of, this is, you know, this is one that God's actually saying, I want to do something for you. I want to give you a gift. I want to give you the gift of rest. And some of you are saying, well, but, but it won't work in my schedule. It won't work in my life. Your life's not working right now. It really isn't. Again, I watch your posts. You're going nuts. You're going crazy. But you think it's working. And God's looking from heaven and he's saying, you're crazy. I gave you a gift. When are you going to open my gift and use it? There are two things that, um, in my era of being a pastor, that have been fun to be a part of in, 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 the, in the church and in culture. I, I came into pastoring about the time that there was this shift going on in evangelicalism away from a more traditional approach to church and worship into a more contemporary approach. I got to tell you, I, it's, just, it's been fun as anything to be a part of that. I mean, what happened here this morning, this thing, oh my word, I, I could only have dreamed of that in 1990. You know, it's beautiful to have been a part of watching the, the way we do ministry just unfold in a beautiful way. So the way we do ministry has changed, but, but there's something else that's changed, and that is the context in which we do ministry. The context in which we do ministry is a context of secularization, a, a context where we're basically saying in the public square, we need to erase God, religion, any reference to God or religion, let's push it out. It's funny being in Texas because they're a little less secular than we are. So I'm watching TV in Texas, and believe it or not, commercials are referring to going to church. I can't remember the last time I saw a commercial in Illinois referring to going to church. There, there's a mentality that is swept over our nation and just continues to embed more and more deeply that says God belongs out there. And honestly, I don't know if you notice it, but more and more... When people, when you talk about God, they look at you like you're just a little bit loony. You know? I mean, science is God. Why in the world are you holding on to that hocus-pocus stuff? Why, why are you holding on to that? And we're seeing that become more and more entrenched. So something as simple as, this may sound a little uh, crazy, but there was a time in our schools that schools did not give homework and didn't program on Wednesday nights. Because they knew kids went to youth group. They knew kids went, went to church and did. Hey, guess what? Schools are seeing Sunday morning as open game right now. It's all open. It's all, that's just one bit of evidence of the fact that, that the secular mindset has truly taken hold in a deeper way than it ever has in the time that I've been a pastor. Now, here's the thing. A secular mindset hasn't just taken hold out there. It's taken hold in here. And so when it comes to things like God saying, six days on, one day off, six days ordinary, one day special, we go, yeah, well, that's not the way it works in America. That's not the way it works in secular America, that's true. But it is the way a life works if it's working with and obeying the rhythms of the God of the universe. So looking at these two passages, I just kind of broke down the difference between the secular mindset and the sacred mindset. And, and as you look at them, you find this. That in the secular mindset, the person basically believes, I am God. I'm the center of the universe. If you don't believe that, go wander the airport. It's gotten worse than ever in terms of people just believing they are truly the center of the universe. Nobody else matters or exists. Um, the sacred mindset says what? I am dust. We saw it at the end. I am dust. I am dust. What's the implication of that then? This day belongs to my God. Whether my God is the little g God, me, or the big g God, the God of the universe. Um, secular mindset sees Sunday as an extra day to fill. But the sacred mindset sees it as a holy day set apart, special for God. So I devote this day to the one I desire to please. Do I want to please me or do I want to please God? The secular mind, mindset believes that, that all that exists emerged from chaos with nobody in charge of it. I don't care about your, your, your views of creation evolution at this point. They believe that there is no master designer who put it in place. It just happened. The sacred mindset believes that all was crafted by a creator. What's the implication? 
we reflect our creator's image. So we either rest as God rests, or we live a life of chaos that emerged from the chaos. The secular mindset also follows, uh, our mindset also follows our creator's example. And so the, the creator of the universe, God, rested to where, what does chaos do? Chaos never rests. The secular mindset says, I am the master of me. But the sacred mindset says, I was once a slave, but I am now free. And in light of that, I offer this day to the one who owns me. I don't own me, God owns me. And one day a week at least, I need to stop and be reminded of who I belong to. We sing these songs because they remind us of our identity, who I belong to, who I am in Christ, who God is, and who I am in light of him. The Sabbath is a day to rest and remember. And and you think about it this way. We come to this day, and in part, we rest to remember. We, we take the time to stop so that we have the opportunity to remember. If, if you're running all the time, you don't take time to reflect. So we need to rest to remember, but we also rest because we remember. I'm no longer a slave. I'm no longer a slave. Do you know what slaves do? They work and work and work and work. Slaves aren't given a vacation. Slaves aren't given time off. Slaves are slaves. I'm no longer a slave. I'm a child of God. So we rest because we remember who we are. There was a line in the video. The world gives itself up to incessant incessant activity merely because it knows nothing better. You got paper, write that thing down. I'll give you a sec, okay? Because here, this is what it's all about right here. This is what it's all about right here. The world gives itself up to incessant activity merely because it knows nothing better. You know what? We know something better. We know someone better. And so we don't have to be constantly active. We can rest in who God is. Now, let me ask you a question. What would it look like for you or for your family to accept God's invitation to a weekly day of resting and remembering? What would, what would it look like today if you just said, I am going to dedicate this day to a weekly day of resting? And, and you go, well, I can do that. So then I make it tougher. What would it look like for your family to accept this invitation? I suspect there are some words going through your minds. Of course, if you're a pastor, they're alliterated. Uh, that would be impossible. Just no way. We can't do that. That would be impractical. I mean, too much of the world happens on this day. How, are we, how in the world is my kid going to get a scholarship if we're not participating? What's going on on this day? That's idealistic, Dennis. You live at church, nice little place. You work two half hours a week. You know, we, we, get, we get the way your life works. But, you know, the rest of us, we live in the real world. Here, here's my challenge to you. I think your approach, and more importantly, God thinks your approach is impossible impractical and idealistic and i know because you tell me about it on your wall all the time you're running like chickens with your heads cut off and this topic comes up and you go well no no i'm fine i'm fine no you're not you're so sick you're so sick because you're so stinking tired it is time to honor god and rest here's the thing you need to understand One way or another, you're going to get a break. The question is, will you take a break or will you be broken? One of the modern experts in this area is a woman named Ruth Haley Barton. She writes these words. If we do not allow for a rhythm of rest in our overly busy lives, illness becomes our Sabbath. Our pneumonia, our cancers, our heart attacks, and our accidents create a Sabbath for us. So are you going to honor God's rhythm or is he going to have to impose one on you? Because he's more than willing to get you there. To get you to the place he wants you to be. Rest, soul rest, soul rested. You know, it's funny, I I typed in Bible Gateway yesterday the word rest, to find rest throughout the Bible. And as I typed in that word, this, you know, and whenever you do that, it of course pops up the other words that have the word rest in it. Restored is based on the word rest. 
You cannot live a restored life if you are not living a rested life. You've got to rest. All rests, it seems, on the shoulders of men who can do nothing. But it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. I will give you rest. He's given us the gift. The question is, are you going to avail yourself to it? Or are you going to ignore what he has to say? Brian's going to come now. We're going to move into our time of communion. And we're going to hear some words from the Bible that talk about rest, continuing the theme of rest. And so the way this will work is we'll read the scripture and then we're going to take two minutes to just be quiet, a little imposed rest time. Just be quiet in the presence of God. And allow, allow God's Spirit to take your mind where it goes. Maybe it's on the passages on the screen. Maybe it's something we've talked about this morning. Maybe it's kind of thinking through, so how would this thing work? Because I want to do what God wants. Maybe it's just being open to saying, God, I repent of the way I've been living. It's time to follow your way. And then after that, communion will come. We'll be sitting for communion, receiving communion. And then after we've received communion, the basket will come to collect the offering. So the prophet Isaiah writes these words. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. I come and say from a version of the Bible called The Voice. And I just, again, encourage you to just listen, hear these words. So would you try to find someone to compare to him? Can you think of anything that has a likeness to God? An idol? Hardly. They're made by human hands. Even if they are overlaid with gold, decorated with silver, and shaped by the world's best artisans, they are subject to tarnish, tearing, and breaking. Those who cannot afford such extravagant offerings select a choice hardwood that will not rot and seek a skilled artisan to fashion an image that will not totter or fall. Don't you know? Haven't you heard or even been told from your earliest memories how the earth came to be? Who else could have done it except God, enthroned high above the earth? From such a vantage, people seem like grasshoppers to him. Who else but God could stretch out the skies as if they were a curtain? Draw them tight. Suspend them over our heads like a roof of a tent. God reduces the rulers and judges, the rich and the powerful of the earth, to nothing. They scarcely are planted. Take root and start growing. Before God blows a withering breath and storm winds carry them away like chaff. The Holy One asks, Do you really think you can find someone or something to compare to me, my equal? Look at the myriad of stars and constellations above you. Who set them to burning, each in its place? Who knows those countless lights, each by name? They obediently shine, each in its place, because God has the great strength and strong power to make it so. Why then do you, Jacob, inheritors of God's promises, you, Israel, chosen of God, why do you say, my troubled path is hidden from the eternal? My God has lost all interest in my cause. Don't you know, haven't you heard, the eternal, the everlasting God, the creator of the whole world, never gets tired or weary. His wisdom is beyond understanding. God strengthens the weary. And gives vitality to those worn down by age and care. Young people will get tired. Strapping young men will stumble and fall. But those who trust in the eternal one will regain their strength. They will soar on the wings as eagles. They will run, never winded, never weary. They will walk, never tired, and never faint. This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel, says. 
and repentance and rest is your salvation. And quietness and trust is your strength. Father, you take the dead and you make it new again. Lord, we thank you for the power in your blood and the power in your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You were the word at the beginning, one with God, the Lord most high. Your hidden glory in creation, now revealed in you are Christ. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a beautiful name it is, nothing compares to this. What a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus. You didn't want heaven without us, so Jesus, you brought heaven down. My sin was great, your love was greater. What could separate us now? What a wonderful name it is. What a wonderful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a wonderful name it is. Nothing compares to this. What a wonderful name it is. The name of Jesus. What a wonderful name it is, the name of Name it is the name of Jesus. 
So if it hasn't quite caught yet, let me say it this way. What's the difference between the sacred mindset and the secular mindset? We actually believe that. We believe it. We believe that God has no rival. He has no equal. We believe that without Jesus, we would not have life. But with him, we have everything. We believe that Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection make a difference. We've never seen him eye to eye. That's what we're told, right? Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and a glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith, which is the salvation of your souls. You're going out into a world that doesn't believe it. You do live like it. Act like it. Let him fill your life. Let him fill your minutes. Let him control everything about your destiny. He is. He truly is. Head out. Have a great day. Oh,